So we're going to celebrate uh, today uh, Palm Sunday, and it's the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem, um, where, in fact, the Bible says in John's gospel, he, he, he set his face, or Luke's gospel, set his face towards Jerusalem, and it was Palm Sunday is where we commemorate the, the entrance into Jerusalem that Jesus made, and it would be approximately a week until his, um, he would offer himself to be crucified. Three days later, rise again and change um, time and space as we know it. But today we're going to take a few minutes, and I'm actually going to uh, speak uh, in an abbreviated way. Thank you for not cheering. And uh, you know what I mean? Standing ovation. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about um, worship. Now, before we go any further, we've got to establish something, and that is that, that music um, is not worship. Now, oftentimes we, we, clear, we, we name parts of our services, this is the speaking, this is the worship, but actually um, worship is not music. Now, music can be used as a platform for worship, and it's historically, we're the singing faith. If you're not a Christian today, you're so welcome here. We love you. We're so glad that you're here. This is an opportunity for you today to kind of peer into what uh, those of us that do follow Jesus, what we believe um, uh, about worship and what we believe about our great God who is so amazing and became sin so that we could become right with God forever and ever. And so if we have a skip in our step and a smile in our face, it might not just mean um, that uh, our favorite team has won in, in March Madness because has anyone's bracket actually worked out this year? Absolutely not. But Loyola Chicago, I am telling you, ladies and gentlemen, I am all in. I was rooting for Gonzaga. I love this state with all my heart, um, but they're gone, so now my loyalty is with Loyola Chicago. I didn't even know that school existed, and now they're in the final four, which is pretty awesome. But our smile and our joy comes from the reality that we believe that there is a God, and he's good, and he loves us, and he forgives us, and now we have relationship with him because of him offering himself on the cross. And so that is our joy. That is um, our passion. That is the point of existence as far as we're concerned. But today, we're going to talk about what it means to worship, but we need to remind ourselves that music is not necessarily worship, that worship is a lifestyle, that worship is, worship as much as it can be singing can also be conversing, it can also be declaring, it can be preaching. So in reality, even preaching is worship. I know it doesn't seem like I'm a worship leader, but every time I speak or anybody else speaks, we're also leading worship. We're leading to the ideas our thoughts and our affections are going towards Jesus. And so maybe in the next few minutes, the next 20 minutes, I say something about Jesus and your affection begins to grow and your thoughts go to him and you start thinking to yourself, he's so good, he's so big, he's so great, he's forgiven me. What's unfolding, what's uh, unraveling in your heart is, is worship. It really is. And so... Today, really everything we do in this gathering is wrapped up in this idea of worship. We're turning our attention, we're turning our affection, we're turning our thoughts, we're turning our innovation, creativity, imagination, we're turning it towards him. And there is so much transformative power in that exercise. 
I'm telling you, things you can be healed, you can be restored, you can be reconciled, you can be made whole in moments of turning your attention and affection and innovation towards Jesus. I'm telling you, you will be changed. And so today, we're expecting nothing less than that in these moments that there's transformation, that there's change, there's healing, there's miracles, there's supernatural things happening in our life. There is so much going on in our world. There is so much challenge. There is so much pain. There is so much division. There is so much difficulty. We have never needed the healing power of Jesus in our life more. Can I hear an amen? So we're going to go to Luke chapter 19. And the story of Jesus entering into Jerusalem is recorded in all four Gospels. It's recorded in Matthew 21 and Mark 11 and Luke 19 and John chapter 12. But for sake of time, we're going to go to Luke chapter 19. And one of my favorite exercises, this is just for, for sake of your own personal investigation in Bible study, one of my favorite is when we find a story that is recorded in all four Gospels, is to go and see the differences recorded in all four Gospels, and it will tell you so much not only about the audience that Matthew was told to write to, or Luke, or John, but it will also give you the full portrait of the story. A lot of people see the differences in the stories as contradiction, but they're not. They're actually the whole picture once you put them all together. And I think the differences exist for our own investigation, for our own intrigue, so that we'll lean into the story. So I encourage you, if you get time this week, that you look at Matthew's account and Mark's account and Luke's account and John's account, and the differences I think will amaze you and wow you, intrigue you, and invite you into the story even further, which is... um, is so awesome. I'm in love with this book because this book points me to a person. And that person is alive and he is changing my life on a daily basis. Can I get a witness here on Palm Sunday? I mean, it's Palm Sunday. You can say amen on Palm Sunday. Luke 19, verse 28, it says, when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olive or Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, now go into the village in front of you and where, where on, uh, when on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat, untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, what are, what are you doing or why are you untying it? You shall say the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. This, of course, by the way, is fulfilling prophecy. So much of Jesus' life and action, particularly in this next week of his remaining life on earth, there will be an extraordinary amount of fulfillment of prophecy, in truth, a mathematical impossibility unless he's God. And so this too, this too is a fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus will not come on a, a, a high horse. He will not come in a parade. He will come lowly on a cult, indicating his humility. As he rode along, they spread the cloaks on the road, and he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a, with a loud voice, with a loud voice. 
Oftentimes people say, you know, church home is so loud. What's wrong with you? You guys are so loud. You sing so, hey, the music is, is, is so loud. The, the goal of our loudness is not loudness. The goal is passion, and we love Jesus, and his transformative, transformative power is so real. We do get loud. Sometimes we do turn up the, the volume because we love him. But it's not volume for volume's sake. It's not volume because volume is vogue, and we're all going to Coachella. That's not the point. The point is passion and love. Nobody told these people to be loud. They just got loud because of gratitude and passion for Jesus. And so that is what we're doing. Saying with a loud voice, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, this is such a statement. If these were silent, um, um, the very stones um, would start to sing. It's like, oh, this is uh, far more central than we realize. Yeah, I'm sorry. If, if, if humans don't speak up and do what I designed them to do, um, the rocks will replace them because even creation knows why it exists. Right? So we're going to talk about Worship, would you join me in prayer? Jesus, thank you for the moments that we share. Help me to be concise and clear and to the point. And Lord, we pray in these moments of adoration and worship that you would fill us, transform us, change us. Thank you so much for your grace and help Bubba Watson win the match play championship today in Austin. In Jesus' name, amen. It's real, he's playing right now. It's how much I love you guys. He's playing on TV right now. I'm not even recording it. I'm completely focused and I'm here with you heart and soul. I wanna make three observations from this passage and having looked at Matthew and having looked at Mark and Luke and John, there's three observations that I think are gonna help us to understand worship uh, even more. It says, and actually all four records agree, that the people were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, this is beautiful language, of course, and it's wonderful, but it is steeped in Jewish history. In fact, it is almost a direct quote from Psalms 118, which is a collection of the Egyptian Hillel, or the road trip playlist that the Jews, the ancient Jews, would use on their trek to the grand annual celebration of Jewish history. Psalms 18, more specifically, was written in retrospect. It was written after the fact that God had delivered his Jewish people from Egyptian captivity. Psalms 118 is this Hallel, it's this praise, it's this adoration of God for bringing them out. And so in, in actuality, Jesus is entering, entering into the city that he will not be murdered, his life will not be taken, but his life will be offered. For no one takes his life, he lays it down. On his entrance into Jerusalem, the Jewish people are saying what? They're actually quoting Psalms 118, which is to say, blessed, and they add king, by the way, which makes it messianic, and they're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord without even knowing 
knowing it, we read this passage and the Jewish people in droves, crowds, is it hundreds, is it thousands, we're not sure. Historians tell us that at the time, there's probably approximately 100,000 people in Jerusalem for the celebration. By the way, there are no palms in Jerusalem. The closest city that has palm branches and palm trees is 25 miles away. So as best we can tell, these people have brought the palm branches in to celebrate the annual festivals, but now they're realizing that the ultimate act of worship is not just tradition and history, but the fulfillment of all their tradition and all their history is this man riding on a lowly colt. And they quote one of the great halals, one of the great praises, and they say, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They are in essence saying, you are the one that will deliver us from our captivity. They are declaring that he is God, that he is the Messiah. These words are not just nice words that make for nice modern songs. They are laden. They are packed. They are jammed with prophetic fulfillment and declarations of faith by the crowds. The crowds are saying, you are the God of our ancestors. And the same way that you delivered them from the Egyptian captivity, you will deliver us from our captivity. Now, what the people do not understand is Jesus will not deliver them like they think he will. The majority of the crowd believe that Jesus will come and he will overthrow the current regime and the overthrow the current government. They have no idea that Jesus plans to deliver them by dying. They don't know that, but they continue to say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord Their praise, their worship is saying, you have brought us out. But then three of the Gospels record this word, Hosanna. Have you heard of the word Hosanna? If you've ever listened to Christian music, you've heard of the word Hosanna. Hosanna actually is a word, its, its meaning is interesting. It's later become kind of a term of adoration and a term of praise. But the word Hosanna actually means save us. The word Hosanna actually means salvation now. I find it very interesting in this moment of worship on Palm Sunday, you have a conglomeration of people, predominantly Jewish, who are saying, you brought us out, and simultaneously, please bring us out. You brought us out, and you're bringing us out. Let me tell you something about worship. You will never worship God if you are always contingent on your current circumstances. Sometimes you got to sing and sometimes you got to worship because he brought you out and you trust that he's going to continue to bring you out, right? You've got to look at God's track record. You've got to look at God's body of work and say, even though that loved one is gone, even though I lost my marriage, even though I don't understand what's going on with my kids, I can look at God's body of work, the God who's always been and always will be, and I can say that you are true and you are faithful and you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I can... I can use my palm branch, even though friends will tell me, you lost your mind because if God was good, you wouldn't have lost your job. But you understand that worship is not just on the basis of these brief, momentary circumstances we find ourselves in. God is faithful. Let us look at his body of work. But I'm reminded today that on Palm Sunday, the vast majority of people that worship God did not understand what God was doing. 
You know what I love about worship? You can worship God even when you don't understand. You can worship God when it doesn't even make sense. These people are worshiping Jesus because they believe he is going to overthrow the, the current regime. He's going to overthrow Rome. He's going to overthrow the government. He's going to have a throne room. He's going to have an army. He's going to have a military. He's going to have a vice president. He's going to have a secretary. He's going to have, and we cannot wait for his government and his presidency and his leadership. And, and then they don't even know that he's going to die in the middle of two criminals. So oftentimes people say, well, I will worship God when it, when it makes sense. Then you might be waiting for a long time. Because God is not like us. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And, and sometimes I like to say, you got to worship God when you're wet. And the disciples were in storms. And Jesus, Peter got out of the boat and Peter sunk into water and got back in the boat. And the Bible says, and all the disciples worshiped him. You know how they worshiped him? They worshiped him soaking wet from the storm they thought they were going to die from. Sometimes the purest form of worship and some of the most transformative worship is when you worship him wet and you don't understand why. But you say, God, I am soaking wet right now. I am frustrated. I am agitated. And I was sure that you were going to do X, Y, and Z. And you didn't even do A, B, and C. But I'm going to stand here and I'm going to worship you because I know you're true. It's impossible to please God without faith. And sometimes you just got to start worshiping according to faith, faith. He, here are all these beautiful Jewish people who are celebrating that he brought them out. And they're saying, now, bring us out. Save us and save us now. The word now is so interesting with God. Be careful how you use the word now because God will agree to now, but God's now is not our now. For a thousand years is like one day to God. I told my son the other day, I said, I think we're all going to get to heaven at the same time, and here's one of the reasons why. I think Papa, my dad, who's in heaven, you know, if he lived about, you know, 60 years, and, and L-Dog, no matter how long, if you figure out how long you live, uh, I, I reckon that uh, uh, Papa's going to get to heaven about 9 a.m., and we're going to get to heaven about 11 a.m., based on one day is a thousand years, thousand years, one day. Oh, so be careful when you're like, God, save us now, and he's like, okay, I will. And you're like, but I mean like in my lifetime. No, I said now. God's timetable. And boy, if you're waiting for your timetable to be God's timetable to worship God, you might be waiting a long time. No, blessed is he. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Hosanna. He is salvation. He will Save us. So you've lost your mind going to that church singing those songs. Your life has only gotten worse these last eight years. Yeah, but he's faithful. He's true. I, I can't live with, without him. The scripture goes on, and it says in um, the last part of Luke 19, in verse 39, or verse 38, it says, they said, glory in the highest. In fact, from Best I can tell, all four Gospels use this term, glory in the highest, glory in the highest. And I thought, wait a second, I've seen glory in the highest somewhere. Do you remember the shepherds? I know we're looking at Easter, but let's go back to Christmas for a second. Because you can't have Christmas without Easter and Easter without Christmas. Like, they go hand in hand. And do you remember at Christmas time? Because we know that Jesus was born exactly on December 25th. 
and Santa was there for sure. Remember what the angels said? Do we have that, guys, in Luke chapter 2? The angels say this to the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest. Now, do you remember the angels, a whole choir joins them. Glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. You see that? I don't even think these individuals who are ushering in the entrance in Jerusalem by our Savior and Deliverer, and they're using their palm branches that they have brought from at least 25 miles away, I don't even think they are aware that their worship has just coincided, it's just collided with the same lyrics of heaven. Think about this. There is something about worship, particularly when we use music. The Bible makes it clear that there will be singing, there will be dancing, there will be a feast, which means they'll be eating in heaven. Somebody shout amen. There'll be no calorie counting, or fat, or carbs. All of that remains in hell. And all God's people said amen. Now your friend that you brought never been to church, they're like, I actually like this place, bro. And whatever place he's talking about, how do I get in there? I love about worship when we start to sing, whether we're aware of it or not, we join with eternity. We join with eternity. What an honor. These, these ordinary average people with their palm branches say, glory to God in the highest. And what they maybe don't even know is that they've joined the choirs of heaven. Jesus said, when you pray, pray our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm telling you, when we worship, heaven and earth collide. And in the end of all things, in the culmination of all things, in the reconciliation of all things, and in the restoration of all things, there will be a new heaven and there will be a new earth. And they will coincide. If you like earth and lakes and hills and rivers and animals and pets, you're going to love eternity. For there will come a day that this earth will be restored in the way that God intended it. Heaven and earth are to come together. And when we worship, particularly when we sing and we use the platform of music, we start to sing what is being sung in heaven. And I'm telling you, it changes your worldview. It changes your approach. It changes your values. It changes your appetites. And it changes your desires. Glory to God in the highest. These guys are singing what the choir in heaven is singing. There's power there. I'm telling you, things will change there. You got something heavy on your heart today. You got something that's just on your mind and on your soul and you can't shake it. And maybe it's been days, maybe it's been weeks, maybe it's been years. I believe in the power of worship. I believe in the power of praise. And it may not change your situation, but it will completely change your perspective. What if we could see everything on earth from heaven's perspective. For Jesus was the first man who came heaven to earth. For the rest of us will travel earth to heaven. But look at the priorities of Jesus 
as heaven filled his mind and his heart today, as we sing and we worship, you can expect for heaven to fill your thoughts. The idea of eternity and what matters there and what's valuable there and what's important there and your whole perspective change. See, when we gather church home, we're not just gathering to go through a religious routine. We are gathering believing that our paradigm, our perspective, our worldview, our personal view, and our identity is gonna be altered again as we are aligned over and over with what matters to God eternally. Glory to God in the highest. And lastly, my third observation, and I'm done, I'm done. It's essentially 20 minutes. The Pharisees criticize Jesus and they say, hey, um, you, you, you need to tell your disciples they're praising you like you're God, like you're God. People say all the time, uh, uh, I've heard it said, I should say, you know, Jesus was a good man, but I don't believe he was God. But you gotta understand, he accepted praise as if he was God. So he can't be good. He's gotta either have lost his mind completely or been God. For the Pharisees said, hey, nobody deserves worship except God. You need to tell your disciples to stop worshiping you. And Jesus says one of the, forgive the pun, one of the earth-shattering statements ever. He says, you don't understand Worship is so central, it's so fundamental, it's so essential. If the centerpiece of my creation, the only one that I have given my image to, the eternal soul, if they don't use their free will to praise me, creation will find its voice and do for them what they will not do. For, I've said it again, for even the trees understand why they're there. Even the fish in the sea understand why they swim. Even the leopards understand why they run through the tundra, if the tundra is where they run. <laughs> I don't actually know that, but I know Dodge Ram is in the tundra. I know that much. Excuse me very much. But even the elephants, even the insects, Apparently, they, they, they know. They're, they're wired. And they have a, a fail-safe that if we stop, whether cognizantly or not, do rocks have a brain? I don't think so, but apparently they will grow gums and lips and tongues if we don't do what we were made to do. And what we were made to do, we were made for relationship and love and affection. And God designed us for one primary reason, and that is to adore him. That is to admire him. That is to love him. That is to speak of him, to write of him, to sing of him, to dream of him, to shape of him, to architect about him. And the Bible says in Psalms 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now that's a worldview, which is to say the whole earth is the Lord's. Who says there's a thing as secular and sacred? No, it is all God's. It all belongs to him. There is not a single thing in this earth that does not belong to God. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is governor of governors. He's president 
captain of presence. He's teachers of teachers. He's leaders of leaders. He is God. He is king. He is supreme. He is sovereign. He is Lord. And the Bible says he sits in the heavens and he laughs at his enemies and the earth is his ottoman. That is the God we worship. We don't worship a man-made idea. We don't worship a book that was written by one person. We don't worship these religious ideals and concepts. We're not here singing to tradition. We're singing to a God who has always been and will always be. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And right now in real time, he sits in the heavens and he laughs at anyone who comes against him. Why? For he is God. God always will be, always has been. And so we get together and we don't even have to blow it out of proportion. No hype needed. No hype needed. Because you can't overestimate. It's impossible to overestimate the beauty and the majesty and the glory of, of Jesus. I love John's gospel. I'm done. I'm done. It's 20 minutes. I'm done. And, and John records that the Pharisees said in John, I think it's John 12, in verse 19, he says, um, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing, saying to the other religious leaders. Look, the world has gone after him. Look what it says in the message. The world is in a stampede after him. Oh, part of the world's don't even, part of this world doesn't even understand. What you crave and what you grope for is him. And so in these moments that we share as a community, these culminating, climactic moments that we share about once a week. This is not church. This is the celebration of a redeemed community that lives life together throughout the week. But when we get together, we're going, man, wait till we start singing. Wait till we start preaching. Wait till we start thinking. Wait till we crack open the storybook. We start, I'm telling you, man, watch the atmosphere change. Watch our perspective change because where two or more are gathered in his name, he is there and he inhabits the praises of his people, which is to say God is everywhere, but sometimes he is specifically somewhere and it is evident and it is obvious and his presence is there. And so sometimes you raise your hand. Sometimes tears go down your, 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 your face. Sometimes you get goose pimples and you don't even know why. And you're like, God, what's going on? It's his presence. He's here to assure you that he is God and he is good and he loves you and he is not far from you. And though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil for he is with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. He'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Every single one of us in this room are honored and privileged to have the opportunity to have the wherewithal, to have the knowledge that God has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus so that we can sing to him, so that we can worship him, so that we can adore him. So I have every expectation in the next 20 to 30 minutes as we sing together that something supernatural is going to happen to your marriage, something supernatural is going to happen in your brain, in your body, in your thinking, in your perspective. I'm actually expecting the supernatural in this room as we worship. Can I hear an amen?